holding the powerful accountable from Washington, D.C. to right here in Southern New England. This is 10 News Conference with Gene Valicente. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Gene Valicente. Joining me for this Fourth of July political roundtable today, NBC 10 political analyst Wendy Schiller is to my left, and just to her left is retired Rhode Island Supreme Court Justice Bob Flanders, who ran for the Senate as a Republican a few years back. Thanks to both of you for coming in. Thank you. And Jim. to my right is uh, NBC 10 political reporter Brian Crandall. Welcome to all of you. Hope your weekend is going well. Let's get right to it. Let's work our way back in chronological order. We're taping on a Thursday. So just today, the Governor McKee will sign the bill to allow for driving privileges for illegal immigrants. Let's listen to both sides of this argument. Massachusetts, uh, they are going to give illegal immigrants driver's licenses. Where do you stand on that here? I've been on the record supporting that and, uh, and, and working our way through to make sure that the, the, the cost to it is absorbed by the individual who is receiving that, um, that privilege. So um, this could be argued till the cows come home, but uh, you're going to sign that bill if it comes to you. I believe it's going to come, and I look at it as an economic issue. For me, the number one priority uh, in the state of Rhode Island is, in, is increasing people's income. Governor McKee on the radio with me. Let's get right to it. It's a day a lot of people think they'd ever see. Didn't happen under Governor Mundo. Didn't happen under Speaker Mattiello. Elections have consequences. Uh, Judge Flanders. Yeah, I, I'm against it. I don't think we should be a magnet for people to come here and uh, stay illegally. And this is a, an incentive for them to do so. Any state that uh, accords privileges like this to illegal immigrants uh, is uh, not a good thing, in my opinion. Other side of the argument? The practical reality is that people who are here who are undocumented still drive on the streets of Rhode Island, mm -hmm. and they may or may not get into an accident. At least there is identification. At least they have to go through some sort of process where they have a license, they can be identified. Uh, they won't fear uh, being stopped necessarily by the police for a traffic violation since they have a license. So I, I think in the end, I don't disagree that you can, you can make a policy to make people safer and also encourage people to come here without documentation. But I think that it will make Rhode Island safer. Well, is it the, just a coincidence that Massachusetts, as you mentioned, yes, what the governor did it the same year when this has been talked about for years and years, maybe it's just the political climate is there this year and you know the legislature did it in Massachusetts uh, over the will of the governor. Funny that you mentioned Massachusetts. I have Sheriff Tom Hodgson in studio a couple of weeks ago. He's against it. He's the tough-talking Bristol County Sheriff. By the way, it's being challenged in Massachusetts in court. Let's listen to Sheriff Hodgson. It was a really bad move, and what they did was they now took away a tool that law enforcement had where before we could pick up, stop someone if they had no driver's license, it gave us a chance to dig in deeper. Let's be practical. Does it really change anything? An illegal immigrant who wants to get somewhere is driving today. Whether or not the car is insured, that's another matter. So we're giving them a license again for what reason, Judge? What's the real reason, do you think? Well, I don't know what the real, the real reason is, as the governor said, is a revenue-raising measure. He's, he wants the revenue, and, he, and Wendy suggested that this will make things safer. I'm not sure that it'll be safer. Well, you but can drive to work now if you're undocumented, and you can work. As opposed, yeah. and not be scared of working and there is a, a somewhat of a worker shortage now and so I think there are reasons to say we want to have some sort of regulation over people who are on the roads. Blake Filippi, by the way, the Republican uh, leaving us, the uh, House Minority Leader, he said this is okay. He's for it. Well, again, the interesting thing, and I think, you know, Governor McKee's angle on a lot of things is how does it affect the economy? He seems to put that into everything and how does it affect small businesses and that, as Wendy said, this provides people a way to get to work and more people who would be able to be in the workforce if they have a way to drive. That's been the argument that 
most of the proponents have made for it for a number of years now. And the other side is they're here illegally and we're going to give them a driver's license. It's, it's absurd. That's what the other side said. We have to move because we could argue this. We could argue this till next can week. Can we just say that if Congress yeah. and the president, whatever party it is, Republican or Democrat, passed sensible immigration reform, uh, we could have better border security, we could have more accountability, and a lot of these problems could be solved, anybody, and they're not doing it. Does anybody disagree with that? No, of no, course not. No, we're all in agreement on that. <laughs> fix, it, fix it one way or another. All right, moving back, chronological order. We're taping on Thursday. Blake Filippi uh, is leaving us. He's not running for re-election. He's the Republican House Minority Leader. An interesting reason why, he, I finally got the why. He said, I'm going to devote my full time to fighting a lawsuit against the Democratic leadership of the General Assembly over a committee called JCLS, the Joint Committee on Legislative Services. It hasn't met, it's supposed to meet, it controls everything. He said, it's not fair, and that's what I'm going to do as my mission. Let's listen to Blake Filippi. I cannot effectively serve as a representative and continue this lawsuit. There's not enough hours in the day. I had to weigh where I can do the most good. Fixing this generational grievous wrong, this deprivation of constitutional rights from hundreds of thousands of Rhode Islanders, or continue to serve as a rep. So I don't know. Look, we're skeptical of anybody in politics. Everybody, he's going to get a judgeship. He's going to do that. He says, no, I'm a man on a mission. And as an attorney, I'm going to devote my full powers and my full time to fighting this lawsuit to overturn the egregious JCLS committee process. Judge, do you believe it? Well, I, I got to say that I think, he, I, I think he's sincere about this because he really believes, and I think he's right, that this committee controls all kinds of things up at the General Assembly, and it's basically hidden. Who knows about this thing? Very few people. Yet it, it absolutely dispenses of all kinds of um, legislative goodies and money, and the Republican representative there represents roughly 150,000 Rhode Islanders, mm -hmm. and these people are being denied any opportunity to have any input. So I give him a lot of credit for sticking his neck out here and saying, this is going to be my mission. I can do more good yeah. uh, doing this than anything else. It'll get us in the weeds, but it, it, is, it is significant. Well, it is, and he has put a lot of stock into this fight. Now, I'm not sure how much it resonates with the general public, but I remember a few months ago when they announced they won what I would say is a small victory in court that a judge was going to let it go, let the court challenge go forward, that he really stressed how important this was to him. Now, I'm a, I'm a little surprised that he'd leave because I felt like he liked to be that foil, what he believed is kind of like that other side yeah. of the aisle, common sense foil to the uh, Democratic majority, large Democratic majority in the House of Representatives that's been there for a long time. He's very good at using the bully pulpit. He comes on the radio with me. He's always available. Uh, Wendy, this will leave his seat, it looks like, to a Democrat uh, from South County. She's positioned very well to take the Republican seat. Yeah, so I mean, for the for the short term, for the Republicans, I don't think it's a good thing. But I do think Blake Flippy, he's uh, extremely articulate, intelligent, uh, always voicing sort of big think issues and, and also really Rhode mm -hmm. Island related issues. He's young enough that this opens up opportunities for him if he wants to run for governor in four years that he can, or the U.S. Senate, for example. I mean, I think getting out of the assembly uh, frees him up maybe to make some connections and plan ahead. So I don't believe he'll never come back to politics. Judge, he's saying he's also angry that the attorney general is covering the legal bills of the Democrat and the leadership that he's suing, yes. but not covering his. Is there anything you make of that argument? Well, it's, I think it's politically a good point to make. Uh, also, the, uh, the, the checks are being written by Seth Magaziner. The governor is blessing it. If just one of those persons was a Republican, Blake says, 
this wouldn't happen. And so he's making the point that we need more uh, bipartisan government because these kinds of abuses would be stopped if we had at least one Republican in there. Judge Flanders is with us, Wendy Shirley, Brian Crandall. Let's look at that Boston Globe poll. It has Nellie Gorbea just narrowly edging out Governor McKee, but she gets crowing rights. It's Gorbea, McKee, then Bonanno folks at 16%. Isn't the story that she's polling at 16% versus these other two have been around for eight years? That's pretty good news for her. It is. It's a year when people are dissatisfied with government, dissatisfied with incumbents, and she's been spending a lot of money on local advertising. Uh, and so people are taking a look at her. It's a crowded primary, and they're saying, well, is there an alternative to what we have? We may not be overly enthusiastic about what we already have. Big gap. Everybody drops after that. Matt Brown, 5%, and then on and on. Someone, 1%. Judge, what do you make of those numbers? Nellie Gorbea pulling ahead? Yeah, I think that's interesting, and of course we have a lot of uh, time left to go. A lot of developments could happen. Uh, I think the big story is that uh, Elena Folks has jumped uh, as much as she has. I think she was at 6% before, now she's up to yeah. uh, mid-teens, so she's got to be encouraged by that. But I think it's going to uh, turn on events that happen later on in the in the campaign. Well, and certainly I think her campaign would like to make a point of she's surging, right? That's always kind mm -hmm. of the 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 thing that campaigns like to look for. We've got the momentum, we're going ahead, and certainly she hit the airwaves before any other Democrat hit it hard, raised a lot of money, and now raised her profile from someone who, while she was a big in the business world, I don't think a lot of Rhode Islanders no. uh, knew, knew yeah. much about. Uh, and, and again, as Wendy was talking about before, it, it, the poll is close, and if you look at the margin of error, you could say that they all have something to look forward yeah. to and that they're in a tight race. Gabea 24, McKee 20, but her at 16, she has a right to crow. I mean, she, she know, she's known in inside business circles, some political circles, but on the news at night, a lot of people don't know her, and she's introducing her. One but thing will be there. interesting to see if uh, Gorbea's proposal to tax yes. corporations... Yeah. Um, Which she uh, announced uh, after the poll. Uh, yes, uh, that's, but, whether that's going to be useful to folks and other candidates who want to use that as a wedge issue. Do we really need to raise taxes on anybody in this climate? And, and that's what Governor McKee made sure to point out, like, right when that ad came out. And it is an interesting strategy in her first ad. Usually that's the feel-good, like, this yeah. is who I am, mm -hmm. and look at all the great things I've done. And halfway through a 30-second ad, she says, I'm going to raise taxes it's, on big corporations. Yeah. But maybe that's her positioning herself. You have McKee, who likes to talk about he's business-friendly. And obviously, Helena, Helena Folks likes to say that as well. She comes from the business world, and, and a lot of people think she's following in Gina Raimondo's footsteps. And maybe that's how Corbea sets herself apart. But leading with a tax increase, uh, you know, people do not listen after you say raise taxes. They forget who you're going to raise taxes on, and they don't want, especially we have surpluses and we have all this money. I thought it was a misstep. I don't think it was interesting. I thought it was a mistake. Uh, but interesting, she, on the other side of it, she has more women. She has support for women in bigger numbers than folks or McKee. So it could be that folks and McKee split the business sort of element yeah. of the Democrats. And if the Republicans go over to the Democratic primary to vote, that'll be interesting. And then McKee does better with Latinos. So, you know, these natural divisions that we think are there, um, if you dig into the poll, uh, they're not quite there yet. So I think that women in particular, if, you know, we, abortion is codified in Rhode Island, so it may not be the driver of turnout and decision-making in our primary mm -hmm. where it could be across the country and other places. But, but folks just came out with an ad specifically about that the other day as well. So... But not supporting Medicaid funding for abortion, which was very interesting. She said she wants insurers to pay for it, but nothing about uh, cries for the state to pay for it. Just back to this uh, notion, tax the big corporations more. There aren't that many. You could name them. Textron, CVS, Hasbro. I had Mayor Grabian in last week. He said, Hasbro? I'm, I want to make sure they stay here. I don't yeah. want to chase them out. That's a mistake. 
Yeah, I, I, and what do big corporations do when they get more taxes? They pass it on to the consumers. So is that really an answer? Uh, I don't think so. All right, let's move to Providence, specific Providence problems. It was a move uh, to maybe elect the Providence School Board. And Council President Igliosi said, well, right now it's appointed by the mayor. That doesn't allow for much representation. Let's elect them so we can elect them from all over the city. Now, this would be in the future because the school board doesn't have any power now. It's all been taken away in the state takeover. But maybe someday an elected school board, just quickly on that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's arguments on both sides of that issue, but we are in a democracy and the schools are such an important issue these days everywhere. Uh, people want to empower parents. And so I think the more we can do that through elections and things like that, I think that would be helpful. You know, it'd be a, it could be a far left leading school board, just like you have a far left council. Well, you know, even before the state takeover, I remember covering some of the school board hearings yeah. a year ago, and it's kind of a forgotten entity in Providence because it is an appointed it's board and they, yep. they, they don't have a lot but of power. But the mayor is still typically held accountable for education, except in Rhode Island, the state is held accountable for the education system. But in most cities, mayors are held accountable. So you can imagine there's, there's still a democratic mechanism for a school board when a mayor appoints the members of the school board. In our case, the state took it all over. If you look across the border, the mayor sits on the board. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so maybe, I, I don't know if that's a different way to go. Just quickly, I had you on the radio talking about Providence borrowing half a billion dollars to try to bail out their underfunded pension system. You said that's a bad idea yeah. because? Because when you're in a hole, stop digging. Uh, I don't understand the, the logic behind uh, grabbing more debt to relieve the excess debt situation they have. The obligations are overwhelming this city and now they're going to be borrowing more and they're borrowing in a climate that isn't favorable because the interest rates could go up this could end up to be a, another disaster for them and hasten their uh, uh, process of getting to a bankruptcy situation well the, the the argument's been lost the general assembly gave them permission the voters gave them permission they're putting it out to bond but the municipal bonds which are now in a shaky market a lot of people steer their money towards uh, municipal bonds. So it's not necessarily financially, I think, a disaster for them. Potential depends on how they quote unquote borrow the money. Uh, but I think making no pension reform and then issuing this bond is the mistake, right? You know, how we can't get rid of some of these extraordinarily expensive pensions is beyond me in this day and age. I well, mean, that we can't do well, something the, about The it. answer is that they've taken off the table the biggest club they have, which is the, the federal uh, restructuring mechanism through Chapter 9. It, they won't even mention it as a possibility. And that was the whole lever in Central Falls to get all these concessions from uh, all the stakeholders that needed to revise uh, the, their uh, entitlements in order to make it work. And going backwards, that was Blake Filippi's argument as well, that the, the, the potential way to go would be to declare bankruptcy, which it can be kind of a third rail of politics that you don't want your city to go You don't even to have to declare way. it. All yeah. you have to do is say we're not taking it off the table and have negotiations. Again, that was the key to making headway. In Central Falls, people forget, that was all done by agreement eventually because the city wasn't afraid to pull the trigger. And we haven't gone that route ever since we've had Raimondo and other Democratic governors, they just won't hear of it. And it's up to the governor, not the mayor, to make that determination. We should remind everybody that you were the receiver appointed by Governor Chafee to straighten out Central Falls, and yes. you did that. Your famous line was, it's better to get a haircut than a beheading. In Providence, though, with regard to this vote, look, they had their friends at the state, in, the, in the unions up at the state house. They got it passed, and the unions came out big for that well, special election. Well, that was another argument against, it was like, I know the, the city will say it was the timing of it, but. Yep. 
on the, the opponents would say, why couldn't you just wait till November? Nobody knows about this special election in June. The only people who are going to turn out are the people who have a direct stake in it, and those are the people whose pensions are on the line. It was like 4,000 votes, right? Or some yeah, crazy number. Yeah, a little number. more than that, yep. Passed Not and much. done, just like the driver's licenses, passed and done. Uh, Wendy, you had a question for the judge, though, about when he was, as the receiver of Central Falls, what did he leave Mayor Diosa to work with? Yeah, exactly. So Mayor Diosa is running for a treasurer and, and sort of saying he helped lead Central Falls out of the darkness. And I know that, you know, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that because politically running on, you know, uh, having a city go bankrupt is not necessarily always a winning strategy, but he seems to be doing well with it and the party endorsed him. Yeah, no, the, the bankruptcy uh, led to a plan of recovery for Central Falls that Mayor Diosa and others in the city were bound to follow for the next five years. They had to adhere to that, and I believe they did, more or less. So, uh, yes, I don't disparage anything that Mayor Diosa has done, but uh, the, the people should remember that he was under a strict obligation to follow that plan of recovery. And that's, that was the, the big, basically, yeah. gift that we gave to Central Falls. I just think that race, you don't usually think of a treasurer's race as being all that interesting, but you have former Mayor Diosa, who was, became friendly with a lot of other mayors, including now Governor McKee. Mm -hmm. So he's gotten their support in years past and a, yep. lo a lot of other politicians during that time. And now you have Stephen Pryor, who's kind of come to the forefront during the pandemic, who was on stage with Gina Raimondo and then with Governor McKee. And then when he announced the, the, the deal for the Superman building, as yep. you know, there are some opponents to that, he was very high energy. He was the one who was like presenting that press conference and, and the ringleader of it. The truth is, uh, Stephen Pryor has some resume to be treasurer. He, he helped redevelop Lower Manhattan after 9-11. He worked in Newark, New Jersey, the education commissioner in uh, Connecticut. And we know what he's done here. And Diosa, as you said, the heavy lifting was done by you, the cleanup was done, and you left him a nice, a nice package to deal with. I believe we have to codify Roe v. Wade in the law, and the way to do that is to make sure the Congress votes to do that. And if the filibuster gets in the way, it's like voting rights, it should be, we provide an exception for this, for the, except the, require an exception to the filibuster for this action to deal with the Supreme Court decision. President Biden speaking to reporters in Madrid as he wrapped up the NATO uh, summit on Thursday. You're the professor. We, all, we know what getting rid of the filibuster means, an exception. Explain it for the viewers who might not know. Well, when they say getting rid of the filibuster, they just mean lowering the threshold to pass a bill. Usually you can block a bill with 60 votes. Now for Supreme Court nominations and federal judges and executives, you can go down to 51 and still get it through the Senate. That's what they would be saying. For this particular bill, you only need 51 votes right. to get it through rather than 60. So it's really just a, it's lowering the threshold of how much you need to pass something. You know, this didn't work so well for the Democrats when they did that with uh, judges. Uh, they used to uh, require the filibuster 60 threshold for appellate judges. Mm -hmm. They did away with that. And then, of course, when the Republicans took control, they did it away from the Supreme Court. So uh, I think it's a slippery slope. If you get rid of the filibuster and then when the power changes, the Republicans are going to go to town on uh, putting... Uh, getting away with the uh, doing away with the mm -hmm. filibuster for the issues they care about. Let's assume, for argument's sake, that the Democrats get their way. They codify Roe v. Wade. I remember from seventh grade civics, it's the Supreme Court's uh, prerogative to decide if that's constitutional or not. They could very well say it's not, yeah. even after the law it's, is passed. It's tougher, yeah. though, don't you think, when Congress passes a law legalizing something? Yes, it's but, but uh, Professor, you, I hope, will second me on this. Supposedly, the federal government is a government that's limited as compared to the states. And so they have to locate where in the Constitution they're empowered to enact 
a law that mm -hmm. would codify um, Roe v. Wade. Uh, is it Commerce Clause? Yeah. Um, you know, that's what they use for the ACA, the uh, Well, the Commerce Clause, just for, for viewers, the Commerce Clause is going to be very important now because if you are a woman and you are in a state that has banned abortion and you travel to another state uh, to engage in commerce, which is you have to pay for an abortion in the other state, which is why it's very important that the home states don't pay for out-of-state women to do that, right? So it's, it's going to be legally so incredibly complicated going forward for women in this country. Long story short, uh, the, the trail of litigation is not going to end even if Congress does pass uh, a law codifying Roe v. Wade. There'll be all these issues that uh, Wendy just alluded to and others. So we're facing a lot of litigation, even if the Democrats are somehow able to do away with the filibuster and pass and, and uh, codification and, of Roe. And in some cases, women's lives will be at stake. There's and no question about it. And you just treat the situation. I mean, is there another situation where certain states are going to have laws that are just so different than other states? And that's why you see some governors signing executive orders like in Massachusetts and, and what Governor McKee is talking uh, about as well. Is this has prompted a flurry of local action. Even though it is codified in Rhode Island state law, there's been all kinds of things going on with the state house. Some of the activists want more. They want more health coverage. Well, they that, want more bills paid. Well, that's what Wendy brought up right. before. The big yeah. issue, you know, the issue now in Rhode Island is does it go far enough and what is covered right, uh, by, the, by, the by, the, by Medicaid, which is low uh, health insurance for low-income individuals. And some states uh, pay for it out of their state funds. You're not allowed to use the federal matching for Medicaid to, to fund abortions, but some states use their own funds. And that's uh, it's a big it's a big leap. And we saw with folks, she's willing to go a certain way, but not that far. And they put it off, as Urio and as Karchi said, we're not going to come back to do this, and we'll put it off for next year, and we'll see who the next governor is. We just got about two minutes left. We had a brawl at the state uh, just a week ago over the Roe v. Wade reversal, and it, it, this, it got into the tab tabloid headlines because the Republican candidate running for Senate wound up striking his Democrat opponent. He didn't know it was her. He's a Providence cop. You, we all saw this. And to play some of that video because the videos were telling the story. Uh, Jean Lugo was later said he was assaulted. Uh, it's difficult to wade into this very quickly, but Judge Lugo, who's the Providence cop, they want to fire him now. He said, I was trying to break up a fight when my Democrat opponent put her hands on me first. Now, she may say, I'm trying to break up a fight, too. Right. At what point is a good Samaritan allowed to try to break up a fight? Yeah, not, not to the point where this gentleman, <laughs> I use that term loosely, uh, tried to do it. He, I don't think he was breaking up a fight when he was uh, backing off and then wading in yeah. and punching people. Uh, not a good scene, and I think he should be fired based on what we saw. Well, he'll get a police officer's Bill of Rights hearing, which is a whole other frittata, as we say. That's controversial. And it's, that just, you know, it's just a topic that is so, uh, so fraught for so many people, particularly for women, than to see a, a, a man punch a woman in the head. It just it sort of adds fuel to the fire. I mean, just besides the individual responsibility of the action. We have one minute. I know we all uh, uh, respect time codes and time cues. The governor, I'm sorry, the president is running at a 38% approval rating. Maybe he should stay in Spain. Is he going to run again? Your prediction? I don't think so. Uh, that's my prediction. I, I think he'll be too old. I think he's going to get pressure from his fellow Democrats. Uh, I don't think it's likely to happen, particularly if Trump doesn't run. If uh, he's now making the case, who can, who but me can beat Trump? 
and you know he's got a point there perhaps i, I just uh, the boston globe poll it just in rhode island found 69 percent of rhode islanders th thought he should not run again yeah. which again i thought was a very high number inflation is the name of the game but and I, maybe this is extreme but there are right the first two years of presidential terms don't typically go well for a lot of presidents anyway i mean remember yeah, bill clinton. Bill clinton. Less, than, less than 30 seconds i say no you say ask bill clinton who looked you know uh, dead on arrival and after Gingrich 15 seconds him. Is 15 seconds he's, he's running gonna, he's gonna wait till the very last minute he's gonna put his name in. he's okay. gonna raise money and then we'll see if he wins the partners gotta run thanks for being with us that's 10 news conference we'll see you next week